Well, we continue our journey through the letter of James, of the book of James in the New Testament. As we've said since the very beginning of studying this book together, not only here in our worship, but also in our small groups throughout the church, we said that we believe that James was in all likelihood written by uh, James, the brother of Jesus. And as you read through this book, you will begin to see that while James did not originally uh, act in the way that perhaps his older brother Jesus acted, he oftentimes thought Jesus was out of his mind, that throughout his life, after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, James began to embody more the teachings and the spirit of his brother Jesus. And so I think that as we read through James, we we see evidence of that uh, relationship with Jesus all throughout the pages. And so we've been through the first two chapters of the book of James so far. And if you've picked up on a common thread through those first two chapters of James, is that James is talking a lot about action. He's emphasizing action. And so he's saying things like, be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. He's saying that you can't just talk the talk, but you've got to walk the walk. Now, in saying that you've got to walk the walk, James is not saying that what we say is unimportant or without consequence. In fact, James is quick to emphasize that the words that we use have power and that the words we choose to use are important. And so he wants us to realize that as we are seeking to be doers of the word, that being mindful that the things that we're saying with our lips need to match what we're seeking to do in living out our faith And that we need to be aware that those words have power and those words are important. And if you ever wondered, you know, really how important are words and how powerful can words be, then I would just invite you to go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, the book of beginnings. And there in chapter 1, we learn that the world was nothing but chaos, one huge void, And it says that God spoke the world into being. It said that God used words to create order out of chaos. And that's how powerful words can be. Words can either build up or words can tear down. Words can either affirm or words can condemn. Words can either help people or they can hurt people. And so God in the very beginning of our Bible reminds us of the importance of of words and that God's word seeks to bring order in the midst of chaos. But I don't know about you, but I've been around a lot of people and my own words have been guilty of creating chaos out of order. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but you've said something that wasn't helpful, but was hurtful. That you've said something that wasn't building people up, but it was tearing people down. Words have this tremendous power, either for good or for bad. 
And so James is trying to remind us that it is so important that when we hear the word of God, that it affects what we do in the name of God. And then James is reminding us this morning that when we speak, that we speak words that build up, that we speak words that offer hope, that we speak words that edify, that we speak words that speak truth in love. So we're going to dive in this morning to this passage here in James chapter 3. And it might appear to you when we first start this uh, look at the scripture that James really doesn't want people to go into the teaching profession. Uh, That's not it at all. James realizes that in the early church, teaching was absolutely essential. You know, if you look at Paul's writings, when he's talking about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12... Teaching is only behind apostles and prophets in the ordering that Paul says is absolutely essential to the life of the local church. And I think the reason why Paul recognizes how important teaching is and that it's listed just behind apostles and prophets is because Paul realized that apostles and prophets didn't stay around for very long in the early church. And they really don't stay around very long today. Apostles and prophets tend to go into a setting, into a situation, into a church. And they sort of rally the troops. They sort of convict and convert hearts. But then these apostles and prophets will move on to another town, to another church, to another place. Apostles and prophets typically view the world as their parish. Apostles and prophets are usually moving on. I was having a friend with a, a conversation with a friend a few weeks ago, and one of their gifts is the gift of prophecy. And I said, well, you know what happens when you're a prophet in the scripture? You either get run out of town or you get killed. That's one of the two things that always happens to a prophet. So prophets are always moving on because the word that they have is a convicting word and a converting word. And it's an important word, but they don't stay around long. So after a prophet or an apostle has been to a church or created a new community of faith, it's important for the teacher to come in after that. And the teacher is the one that's instructing these new believers, whether they're young in age or just young in the faith, instructing these new believers on the ways of God and on how to live out their faith and on how to being hearers and doers. And so Paul, uh, James is not anti-teacher here. James just wants us to realize the serious responsibility that comes with teaching God's word. I think James would say that in teaching God's word, eternity hangs in the balance. That this is the difference between um, uh, experiencing eternity with God or not. In James's mind, it is therefore absolutely essential that whoever is teaching realizes the serious responsibility of the task. And James wants the teacher to know that because of the serious responsibility of the task, that you are going to be held to greater accountability. And James wants us to know, as we are teachers, that when we teach, 
Not only is it important what we say, but James would remind us again and again and again that our actions need to match the words that we speak. And so James wants us not to be perfect. In fact, he even says that in the scripture that we are going to make mistakes when we teach. We are going to make mistakes when we preach. What James wants us to do is to just recognize as we prepare for those moments of teaching and preaching that this is an important task that has been entrusted to us. And James wants us to give our very best to God when we teach. And what James wants us to be mindful of is something that his big brother said, and that's to remember to choose your words carefully because every single one of us, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 12, will be judged according to the words that we use. And so James is modeling his big brother Jesus here when he wants us to choose our words carefully. And so how does James seek to communicate that to us? The first thing that James says is that the tongue might be a small thing, but it's a very, very powerful thing. The first thing that he does is compare the tongue to a bit in a horse's mouth. Isn't it amazing that with just a few pieces of rope and maybe some leather straps or a bit of metal in the mouth of the horse that you could steer that entire horse with just those very, very small things. And James wants us to be reminded that in the same way, the tongue is really small, but the tongue has a way of steering us down particular paths of life and that if we're not mindful uh, we could go down the wrong path and so it's important for us to control our tongue in the same way that the bit in a horse's mouth controls the horse it will steer our direction and then he says that the horse that the uh, tongue is also like the rudder on a ship now uh if you've ever been on a cruise, those massive hunks of steel, it's just truly amazing that really is what's guiding the direction of those ships is a comparatively small piece of metal underneath it called the rudder. And in the same way that this very small rudder can control that large, massive hunk of steel in a ship, so the tongue, though very small, can control our destiny and our direction and the impact that we have on lives and in the world. James just keeps on with the analogies. The next thing that he says is that if you can take a spark, a glowing ember of ash, and drop it in the wrong place, that it will just burn up hundreds and thousands of acres. And James wants us to be mindful that when we speak, that our words dropped in the wrong place, in the wrong way, at the wrong time, can create a fire that will burn ablaze and it will destroy countless lives and people and situations. And the thing about a fire is that you might start a fire here and it impacts uh, hundreds of miles away, so our words uh, may just be given in this place, but a wrongly timed, worded word um, can impact people hundreds of miles away. 
It's interesting to me that when I think about this book of James, that he was primarily talking about the spoken word. Back in James's day, uh, they didn't have email or Facebook or Twitter or any of the technologies that we have. It was expensive to, to write a letter and to send a letter to someone. There were a lot of people who couldn't even read. There were a lot of people who couldn't write. And so when James is talking about the power of words, he's really talking about the spoken word and how quickly it can spread a blaze like a fire. Imagine what James would think about if he were here in the 21st century today where with one stroke of our fingers on a keyboard, we can send out a word that would be hurtful or harmful or detrimental to people. And within seconds, hundreds of thousands and in fact millions of people could potentially have access to those words. Those words could hurt people not only in our own homes and in our own communities, but those words travel like the fire that James describes and could hurt people all over the world. And so James is reminding us of how quickly our words can negatively impact the world around us. James says that the tongue is a world of iniquity. And what he means by that, I suspect, is that sometimes when we use our tongues in the wrong way, that we speak in ways that are hostile to God and hostile to the faith and turn people away from God instead of turning people to God. It's why so many people don't come to church. They say it's because we say we believe one thing, but then we live another way. And the hypocrisy of our words and our actions not matching and measuring up is one of the problems that we face in trying to be authentic in our faith and in our witness. And so we need to be sure that our words aren't hostile to God as we speak them in the world. He also says that um, uh, the tongue is circular, circular in, nation, in um, nature. And so I think what he means by that is that uh, everything just kind of comes back again. You know, the, um, with our tongues, we are able to celebrate the highs and the lows in life. We are able to celebrate the good and the bad and that it always comes back to us. And so to the degree in which we are seeking to be people of grace and truth and love, that grace, truth and love comes back to us. But in the same way. Those of us who speak a harsh word, a condemning word, and a critical word, oftentimes those things come back to us as well. I think the most interesting thing about this passage is that James says that the tongue is, how does he say it here, set on fire by hell. Set on fire by hell. Now that's a pretty harsh word. Uh, the Greek word for hell here is Gehenna. Gehenna uh, is referred only used by Jesus in the Gospels and in this particular passage in James. So that's another clue that perhaps this really is the brother of Jesus writing this word. When the word Gehenna usually refers to the Hinnom Valley, which was a valley on the southern part of Jerusalem. If you know anything about Jerusalem, you know that back in Jesus and James' day, that that's where they took their trash was the Hinnom Valley, uh, Gehenna. 
And they would put that trash there and just pile it up in heaps and heaps and heaps of trash. And then when there was uh, enough trash there, they would begin to burn the trash. And so it's as if that James is reminding us that in the same way that they would set fire to garbage and that everybody on that side of town could smell the garbage and knew that the garbage was there and that it was being burned, that the tongue has that same kind of power. When we're spewing garbage out, everybody knows it. Everybody is affected by it. Everybody is impacted by it. And so James, again, is cautioning us to use our words carefully. He also talks about how that you can tame just about any kind of animal, but you can't tame the tongue. I would take exception with James here. This is why I'm a dog person. You know, a dog person, a dog loves you. And when you have a stick and you throw the stick, the dog looks at you like, I have no idea why you just threw that stick. And I have no idea why you want me to go get that stick. But because I love you and because I'm going to get a treat later, I'm going to go get the stick and I'm going to bring it back to you. You throw a stick and see if a cat will go get it. <laughs> I haven't yet seen it. Maybe, maybe you're that kind of cat whisperer that you could get that to happen. But uh, I'm not sure cats can be tamed, but a lot of other animals can be tamed. But what James wants us to be sure that we are aware of is that we alone cannot tame our own hearts, our own tongues. We need the help of God to do that. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the help of Christ to do that. So when he's saying here that the heart, that the tongue cannot be tamed, I don't think he's talking about that it's impossible of being tamed, period. I think that he would call upon big brother Jesus' words when he said, with God, nothing is impossible. And so I think what James would say is that the only way that we can ever control our tongue is to seek to invite Jesus to be a part of that controlling and a part of that con uh, containing. And then... James, this is my favorite part of the text, talks about how that the tongue is used to bless the Lord and it's also used to curse. I know this has probably never happened to you, but I've been riding down the road before listening to some good Christian music, singing praises to Almighty God, maybe offering up a prayer, thanking God for all the good blessings of my life. And then some moron cuts me off in traffic. And it's at that moment that the same voice, the same tongue, the same mouth that was singing these praises to God and just giving God thanks for all the wonderful blessings of life and, and for showering me with truth and grace and love just um, loses his mind yelling at the person that just cut me off. That's the tongue that we have. I mean, we're capable in one moment of just singing God's praises and in the next moment of being so destructive and harmful. And James here um, wants us to realize that that just happens. And we're not alone. 
If you think about some of the people in Scripture that this happened to as well, there was Peter. You remember how Peter promised and assured Jesus that I will die with you, but I will never deny you. And then what happened? Not too long after that, the one that said he would never deny Jesus ended up denying him three separate times. And then there's the gospel writer, John. You know, John quotes Jesus a lot in the gospel as talking about how you're supposed to love one another. And then there's this particular story in Luke's gospel where we're told that John asked Jesus to just bring down fire and just destroy a whole Samaritan village. On the one hand, he's talking about we're supposed to love God and love others. And in the same voice, the same tongue is inviting God to shower this village with fire and destroy it. I guess the thing that's probably helpful for us to remember as we're studying this particular passage is that what comes out of our mouths usually says a lot about what's going on in our hearts. And so if you've ever been accused of being critical or condemning, there's a really good chance that the reason why those words come is because of what's going on inside you. I grew up with a critical inner voice in my head, and I don't know if there's anybody here that's ever had that, but I've always felt sort of insecure, like, There were a lot of things that I couldn't do. When I would try something and I would fail, instead of just picking myself up again and trying again and saying nobody gets it right the first time, nobody's perfect, we're just going to improve the second time. Oftentimes the voice I would hear is that you never should have tried that anyway. You know you're no good at that. You know you can't do it. You know you'll never be able to do it. You know you'll never be good enough. And because of that voice that was in my head and my heart, it affected what came out of me. And it affected who I was and how I related to people and how I felt about myself and how I feel about others. And so what I had to do is that I had to begin to change the narrative that was inside me. I had to try to figure out what was going on in my interior life. Because that was coming out into my exterior life. And so I think that's the word for all of us today. Is that what comes out of your mouth really is a reflection in some way of what's going on inside you. And if you can fill your interior life with grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. I promise you. That when your heart is overflowing with those things, that that will be the thing that comes out of your mouth. And you'll be able to share grace and love and mercy and forgiveness with the world. But if there's something else in residence in your heart and in your interior life, there's a really good chance that that's what's going to come out in your words and in your speech. So our words... They can bless or they can curse. They can wound or they can soothe. They can help or they can hurt. They can build people up or they can tear people down. And James just wants us to know 
how crucially important it is, whether we're teaching or whether we're just in relationship with others, the importance of our words.